The Conspiracy Podcast contains adult language, themes, sexual situations, and violence. Basically, all the good stuff. Thanks for listening. And welcome back to Conspiracy, the podcast where we talk about everything that is insane this week, Mm -hmm. including conspiracies. Combining two of our favorite subjects, conspiracies and aliens. Aliens, man. Aliens. Um, I am one of your hosts, Elizabeth. I'm joined by the usual. State your names, please. Oh, my goodness. I'm back in elementary school. Hello. I'm also one of your hosts. I'm Renee. I'm Katie. Yay! This is our first ep. Well, our first episode we're recording all together in 2020. A lot of qualifiers there, but still, yes, we're here all together. We're and all in this together. Is that oh High School Musical? There we go again. I well, love High gonna, Musical. You know, you know how Disney's gonna get be like up oh, more than three beats, and we're gonna get don't don't sue me. One Disney. measure in. Don't yes. sue me. I have, I have, Disney I have, play. I have little people who we listen to it together, and I know way too many oh, of your songs. Yeah. I can make you a CD. I can make you a cover album. Okay, so don't don't sue me. A cover album. <laughs> have I? I mean, of course, I've watched a Disney movie because, like, every movie is done by Disney now in some shape or form. Right. But have I watched? I think the last animated Disney movie I watched was Princess and the Frog. Well, that's a good yeah, one. That is a good one. Yeah. Like, I didn't do Tangled. I didn't what? do... What? Yeah, I didn't do Tangled. I didn't, like I didn't Tangled. do... I, didn't. Um, I couldn't watch it all. I'm not a fan of Tangled. Because your mom, Grindelwald. Is that her name? No. Not even close. Who but is that? The evil mom. In Tangled? Yes. Oh, see, I didn't even watch it. I watched, uh, like, five minutes of it's it. It's something like that. Yeah, she, like, keeps Rapunzel there because youth something don't remember I'm trying to get my my children into like the out of the vault movies mm-hmm. and they just want to watch the same movies over and over like frozen moana mm-hmm. cars mm-hmm. coco coke i like coco i like all those movies but i could probably do the entire performance of frozen yeah on my own because i've seen it so many times 
my parents did that for me when I was a kid. There was a period of time where my mom would only let us watch, like, the Disney movies from, like, the 60s, like, The Absent-Minded Professor. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, like, The Three Caballeros? Yeah. Yes, that was on there. Yeah, like, that was what we were allowed to watch. Anywho, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. From our Disney tangent. We're back. There it is. And this week, we're better than ever. Yes. We I think. We are talking about... The Eisenhower Agreement. Hell yeah. We all know. Which is difficult to Google. For those of you following along, if you try to look it up, you're going to be like, okay, great. He signed papers. Wow, a president. I'm shocked. Right. But if you just do. You got to dig deep. Well, if you just do one quick little deep dive and you put in one little word, Eisenhower Agreement Aliens. aliens your whole life will change <laughs> oh yeah you'll get sucked down a rabbit hole into websites you never knew existed going into great detail over something that you would never think about but actually explains a lot before we dive in katie do you want to tell us about the tea we're spilling yes so the tea that we're drinking this week is called Combray. I mean, yeah. sure. I don't think there's any other way to pronounce it. Combray. Yes. Um, it's actually, it tastes like, tastes like vanilla cake or something. It actually yeah. is so tasty. It's, um, it's so good. It's an organic green tea with organic cardamom seed, organic cardamom pod, organic vanilla pieces, and it tastes like pound cake, vanilla, mm-hmm. grass, warm hay, hazelnut. And for the kinky ones out there, leather. Oh, (laughs) meow. I feel like it probably tastes like the last thing you smell before you get abducted by aliens in a cornfield. And it feels like unforgettable cakes in the countryside. Mm. Yes. You know, while you're in the countryside. When's the last time I ate cake in a pasture? I mean, I kind of want to. With your your submissive partner. Let's do it. Licking and Uh, eating their leather. I forgot about the leather part, but yes. Cakes in the countryside and with aliens. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. That's how we solve the intergalactic crisis, y'all. I mean, everything that August Uncommon has ever done has made sense. Yes. So, in Sponsor case you didn't us. know, that is the tea company Sponsor that we are obsessed with and that we will be drinking until we die. Probably. Which could be any minute now. And then we're going to be on our deathbed and they're going to be like, all right, we'll give y'all our sponsorship. <laughs> we're going to be like, great, we disbanded 64 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks, guys. They're going to find our email oh. just sitting in the dust of the internet in their mm. inbox. The dust of the internet. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a really long time. She's ready. She's been wanting to talk about so since ready. day one. She's primed. I know. She's ready. I'm She's already ready. wet, y'all. Mm-hmm. Nobody look. So since it's the year of our Lord 2020, I feel like there are some people who might not know who Dwight Eisenhower was. So I do have a super quick little like bio to catch you up. I do want to throw it you. out here that me, Elizabeth, I have more faith in my listeners than Renee does. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, Dwight I, Eisen- know, I hear Dwight and I think of Dwight Schrute. So. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> Point me. That's our dynamic here, guys. I'm sorry. Carry on. The office is constantly playing in my head. Um, so Dwight Eisenhower was an American Army general and statesman who served as the 34th president of the United States from the years 1953 until 1961 when he was replaced by John F. Kennedy. 
So during World War I, he was a five-star general in the army, and he also served as the supreme commander of the Allied Expeditionary Force in Europe. Expeditionary? He was responsible for planning and supervising the invasion of North Africa in Operation Torch in 1942 and 1943, and the successful invasion of Normandy in 1944 to 1945 from the Western Front. And... His farewell address in 1961 is iconic for addressing the potential influence of the military industrial complex, which we still deal we are dealing with on a massive scale today. Um, it's a term he is credited with coining, uh, particularly in regards to the burgeoning Cold War. The speech also expressed concerns about planning for the future and the dangers of massive spending, especially deficit spending. So that all sounds very dry. And I'm sure by now you're wondering what he has to do with aliens. Aliens. So in addition to being um, an an acclaimed general in the military, um, Dwight Eisenhower was incredibly passionate and interested in unidentified flying objects and alien life. And it was pretty well known. I feel like they cover this in almost every biography about him. I feel like if it hadn't been him... I feel like George W. Bush would have been a perfect president to be like, aliens. Well, he would have told everybody. So, he would have been like, I know, he right? would have been like, my fellow Americans. That was more Obama. Yeah. Shit. Shit. You were right in so between long. them. It's been so long since I've done George that W. Bush. That he would have been smoking a joint like, you can't shoot the shooter. He would have hey, been on speaker hey, hey, at the hey, hey, at hey, some. I got to get like get back into it. At some, uh, like, the microphone he thought was off at yes. some, like, discussion he was having with a group of people. And they're mm-hmm. like, now remember, don't say anything about the aliens. And he accidentally turns it on. And he's like, but, but, Basil Dork is my best friend. We're going <laughs> shooting next week. I can't tell the American people about my best friend, Basil Dork. Yeah. Basil Dork? <laughs> you, you know he's not going to be able to pronounce their names. And he's. That's true. The alien's going to, like, tell him a very eloquent name. He's going to be like, all right, Clam Shouter, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> wow i like i thought chowder. barbara was probing me last night oh that's my. his mother oh. <laughs> who'd you say barbara laura laura is his wife okay okay how do i know that i don't know but i'm not i'm not okay <laughs> i'm sorry does it really matter barbara and george had that type of relationship no they had a hard time I... pooping barbara and jeb did I highly doubt they had that type of relationship. Jeb's she seems mess. like a very hands-off stoic mom. George Bush was a raging idiot. Yes. She was hands-off with but him. And then Jeb came along and she was definitely hands-off with him. Yeah. But he he was a very nice man. Who? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Yay! I just wanted to see if you guys would react the way that I thought you would. Who? George Bush. Oh, oh God, no. No, he's comical as fuck. Like, I loved watching him, them make fun of him on I Love the 2000s. Yes. Oh, like, yeah. his little things that he would say, you're like, he did not say that. Like, no, the, he did. Fool me once. Shame, shame on you. Fool me twice. A fool man can't get fooled again. Can't, can't get fooled again. What rap song did they sample that in that was so popular? Oh, I have no and idea. And it was, like, know. right in the middle. Oh, it was the J. Cole song, I think. And he was like, fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. <laughs> you, you can't get fooled again. <laughs> and it was so funny. And then wasn't he also the one where Kanye was like, George Bush doesn't care about, about black, black people. Yes. Next Which... to Mike Myers. And Mike Myers was like. <laughs> Incredible. Anyways. Okay. So <laughs> going back to. <laughs> going back Sorry, to guys. It's fine. Going back to President Eisenhower. Most people believe that his interest in extraterrestrial life 
led to him allegedly meeting with aliens on at least three separate occasions, which I will two of which I will talk about in depth. But I just want to mention them real quick. Um, February 20th through 21st on 1954 at Edwards Air Force Base in Palm Springs, California. And then later that year at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico, which is incidentally about two hours away from Roswell. Mm -hmm. And then he also met with them again in 1955 at the same Air Force Base in New Mexico. So he met at Holloman Air Force Base twice. So what a crazy coincidence. Right. Wow. Right next to Roswell. I'm wow. Crazy. So little is known about what actually happened during the first meeting, except that apparently it did not go very well. Eisenhower's Palm Springs winter vacation was slated to run from February 17th, 21st, and it was announced super suddenly because um it was less than a week after he went quail shooting in <laughs> Georgia. Hey, so it was pretty unusual for him to go on one vacation and then immediately schedule his winter vacation. So people were already kind of like, what's going on? Um, Then that Saturday afternoon, the 20th, um, it was reported that he disappeared for several hours (laughs) and he even missed a public dinner that day. So he would not be seen at all by anyone until the following morning, except by a small group of people who were with him. Interesting. Yeah. So obviously the press inquired about where, like, where the heck is the president? And he was an older guy. So people were, people naturally just assumed that he had died, that he had had a heart attack and they just hadn't told him, they hadn't told the press yet. Um, But the White House press secretary at the time told the press he had chipped a tooth while eating fried chicken. And visited um, a dentist to get it covered up. That sounds like some really bad fried chicken. Yeah. So the Washington so Post. Yeah. That you chipped a tooth on it. Yeah. So the Washington Post staff writer at the time, Peter Carlson, denies the story and calls it a cover up. And most people agreed with him. Um, despite the fact that the White House gave the press the dentist trip story, there's no reference of a broken or chipped tooth nor a dentist visit in Palm Springs at the Eisenhower Presidential Library, um, which if you're not familiar with what that is, and I really wasn't before I researched this, so understandable, but the Eisenhower Presidential Library has copies and acknowledgments um, of all of the president's medical and dental records. Like it has basically like every letter he sent, every letter he received, all of his medical stuff, like it's all there. If you want to find out where Dwight Eisenhower was on September 1st, 1952, you can find it probably at the Eisenhower Presidential Library. Interesting. But there's no record of him visiting a dentist in Palm Springs. And um, I don't remember if I said this is Palm Springs, California, mm-hmm. not Palm Springs, Florida. Yes. The interesting thing is it has copies of acknowledgments of other people he met when he was in Palm Springs. So it's not like this area is just a black hole. Um, there's records of people who met them at the airplane, people who sent them flowers, the minister who gave the sermon at the Sunday service Eisenhower attended, and others who played various other minor roles during their visit. Mm-hmm. But there's no proof or there's no record of a note sent to a dentist. And then years later, the dentist's widow said she had no recollection of ever being told by her husband that he had done dental work on the president. And you feel like that's something he would have remembered. I feel like right? it's a big fucking deal. Yeah. 
Like, you, it's not every day you're like, hey, honey, I measured Barack Obama for a tie. Exactly. 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 <clears throat> Anyways, to the meeting itself. So the first meeting allegedly took place between Eisenhower and two Nordic-appearing blue-eyed extraterrestrials. Um, no agreement was reached during this initial meeting, even though Eisenhower wanted to effectuate a treaty with the aliens, but he wasn't willing to agree to their demand that we cease testing nuclear weapons, which to me definitely ties into the prevailing theory that aliens first became interested in Earth once we successfully split the atom and they realized the kind of power we had. Yeah, definitely. So the Nordic-looking aliens um, warned us against another group of aliens who were currently orbiting the Earth around the equator, and they offered to help us with our spiritual development if we would make the treaty with them. But they demanded that we dismantle our nuclear weapons as a major oh. condition. So... Um, they refused to exchange technology with us because we were spiritually unable to handle the technology which we then possessed, which I think is fair. And they believed that we would use any new technology to destroy each other. Damn. Yeah. According to these aliens, we were on a path of self-destruction and we must stop killing each other. We must stop polluting the earth. We must stop abusing the earth's natural resources and we must learn to live in harmony. And it was okay. believed that, yeah, meeting that condition would leave us helpless in the face of an obvious alien threat. Right. Which was why they didn't want to give up the nuclear power. Um, we also had no precedent in history to help in making this decision. Like, this was the first time that we know of. You know, it's like, this is the first time that we have a record of a president meeting extraterrestrials. Like, Abraham Lincoln wasn't meeting with Daddy Zorp when he was right. writing the Gettysburg Address. We don't know that. He was battling vampires, oh, yeah. remember? <laughs> <laughs> um. In any case, it was decided nuclear disarmament was not in the best interest of the United States and the aliens' overtures were rejected, which is upsetting. Honestly, I got to say, if Eisenhower got some big balls because if I met aliens, I'd be like, yeah, so, okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You're what? Okay. So after the failure of the first meeting, the president subsequently met later that year with a race of large-nosed gray aliens, um, the ones who had been orbiting the Earth. And then they landed at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. So hundreds of eyewitnesses witnessed Air Force One landing at the Air Force Base and taxiing backward out of sight. Mm-hmm. After landing, the pilot instructed the tower to turn off all radar while the president's plane was on the tarmac. Oh. Yeah. Then, what? yeah, then three round objects were seen in the sky. One landed about 200 feet in front of Air Force One. Another hovered over the area as though, like, keeping watch. And then the third one disappeared. What? what? Yeah. Eisenhower was seen leaving Air Force One by all of these eyewitnesses, um, shaking hands with a being at the a door being? of the saucer. A being. Who are these eyewitnesses? Just people who were at the Air Force Base at the time. Because it was a huge Air Force I Base. Have- an eyewitness that I will talk about soon. But like Oh yes. Weren't they sworn to like secrecy? Um if they're well, working not all there. Of these, not all of these are like um Air Force guys. And some people are gonna talk even though they're not supposed to. Yeah, well I mean I know but say anonymous or whatever. Oh, that's a big deal. I don't know if I'd talk. <laughs> Hell no. Well, yeah, like I would I, talk and move mm-hmm. out of the country. Exactly. Yes. Here's I my would... story. Goodbye. Goodbye. My name is George. I would be, I would be, I would like write a letter, mail it to a news guy, and then take the next flight to Argentina. And then I'd be gone. 
Um, but Eisenhower was seen leaving Air Force One by all these guys, shaking hands with a being, and then entering the saucer-shaped craft. Oh, my God. He's a fucking alien. Yeah. I mean, he kind of looks like an he alien. Does. He was apparently on the craft for hours. Um, oh, Eisenhower. Probed. Yeah. Oh no, he was having a long <laughs> discussion. <laughs> oh, he liked um, that though. Oh God. Nice. Um, Eisenhower, along with a small contingent made of members of his administration, so he brought friends with him. Yes, he looks like an alien. Yeah, he does. He. They reached a basic agreement with this second alien race, who said they were from a planet in an orbit around a red star in the constellation of Orion called Betelgeuse, which Betelgeuse. <laughs> Betelgeuse. <laughs> Edelweiss? No. Betelgeuse. Interesting. Betelgeuse, um, Betelgeuse, Betelgeuse. You're going to bring them here. Stop oh, it. Shit. Ooh, Zorb. Hello. So <laughs> they stated that their planet was dying, and at some unknown future time, they would no longer be able to survive there. So that was oh. their main reason for wanting to make this treaty with us. I hope we helped them. In some ways. So their treaty stated that the aliens would not interfer. Interfer. Um, <laughs> the aliens would not interfere in our affairs and we would not interfere in theirs so they would not you know help us win the war in Vietnam which would have been handy and we would not stop them from doing whatever they're doing we would keep their presence on earth a secret um, they would furnish us with advanced technology and would help us in our technological development they would not make a treaty with any other earth nation they could abduct humans on a limited and periodic basis for the purposes of medical examination and the monitoring of our development. I did not agree to this. With the stipulation that the humans would not be harmed, would be returned to their point of abduction, and would have no memory of the event. Wow. Except their buttholes hurting? Yeah. Um, the alien nation agreed to furnish a list of all human contacts and abductees on a regularly scheduled basis to a group you guys might remember from the Area 51 episode called Majestic 12. Yes. It's all tying together, guys. Conspiracies. Here we are. However, according to a handful of witnesses and like deeply involved in this whole thing, the Greys quickly proved themselves to be untrustworthy. Um, And individuals involved with the treaty had reason to believe the aliens weren't releasing the names of every person they abducted and possibly not returning every person they abducted. You just like them a little too much. Yeah. Like, this one's too pretty. Mm -hmm. This one, you know, has a big, long dick. They're like, I'm going to name this one Steven and keep it as a pet. (laughs) Basically. Or even worse. Others believe the Greys didn't share as much of their tech as they'd promised to. Meaning the U.S. got the worst part of the treaty. So they're like abducting a lot more people than they're saying and they're not giving us all the tech they promised. You don't make agreements with beings who are smarter than you. I said, I will. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we don't. When you know that they have ways way like bigger than what we can do. Mm -hmm. And they've said this and expressed this and other other aliens have also done it. You don't make agreements with them. No. I mean, we could have made an agreement with the good guys. The good guys that were like, we'll help you in your spiritual development so you can have better technology. And we were like, nope, give us the easy way out. This behavior leads many people to believe that this particular situation is what General Douglas MacArthur was referring to in 1955. Do you know who General Douglas MacArthur is? Yes. Okay. I'm just going to hold Katie as, like, the barometer for our audience's knowledge of, like, I American either know figures. it or I don't. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. very good, yeah, Katie. The, yeah, that is the binary of it. <laughs> Anyways, in 1955, when General MacArthur said, which, if you're counting, is the year after the treaty, you now face a new world, a world of change. We speak in strange terms of harnessing the cosmic energy of ultimate conflict between a united human race and the sinister forces of some other planetary galaxy. The nations of the world will have to unite, for the next war will be an interplanetary war. The Ooh. nations of the Earth must someday make a common front against attack by people from other planets. Ooh. Yes. I am um, not agreeing to this. I did not agree to this. To what? To what you just said. <laughs> I... I don't remember signing anything and saying that, okay, this is cool. You signed it with your butthole. Yep. <sighs> yep. Sign, seal, deliver. <laughs> it's yours. So the subsequent behavior of the Greys, which I've just kind of stated, um, in their interactions with the U.S. national security agencies and their kind of withholding information and not letting us know or letting them. I'm not included. Maybe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I Interesting. Mm. I had no mm. idea that Renee was Daddy Zorb's intern. Yep. But okay. <laughs> Unpaid too. I think he did. That you think? Do you think I'd at least get some benefits? Uh, <laughs> but it was the most likely reason for deferring a, de a decision to release news of the treaty and the extraterrestrial pre presence to the global public. I can't say anything. Um, Eisenhower had indicated to those present in Palm Springs that an, an announcement would be made soon after the first contact event. So even though there wasn't a treaty signed, he made the people involved believe that he would tell the American people that he had made first contact with aliens. Interesting. Since this didn't occur and a treaty was eventually signed with a different group of extraterrestrials, it's possible the national security agencies were deeply divided over whether to disclose this information and also alarmed by the possible public reaction to the Greys' activities against the American people. Okay, well, to be fair, let's just imagine that it's a casual Tuesday. Okay. We're all on our way home from work. I'm here. <laughs> oh, <Okay>. God. <laughs> We're all in our respective cars. We're mm -hmm. listening to NPR. The windows are down. The wind's blowing through our hair. So it's springtime. And uh, Steve Inskeep comes on, mm -hmm. and he's like, we have an announcement from President Trump. And he goes, my fellow Americans, I've oh, learned hold on, pause. Tell you. She's not going to be the president in this scenario oh, because okay. I can't take it. <laughs> so whoever okay. does the best impression of whoever it might be, I'm not going to give anything of my own political beliefs away. But, you know, hmm. whoever it may be. Hopefully a powerful badass woman is going to say, you know, um, hey guys, just wanted to do, uh, let you know that we are signing a treaty with the Gazorpazorps <laughs> at 3 p.m. <laughs> I know, so I come to the shock and you, all you like, you look up from your windshield and all these cars are wrecking because everyone's like, <laughs> everyone's panicking. It's like, not only did you guys not know if they were real. They are real, and they're mm -hmm. gonna be at the White House today. Yeah, well, you'll see them soon. Everyone's like freaking out. The world would—I don't even know what would happen to America. Somehow, you and I, you and I, even though we would be on opposite sides of the city, we would somehow both see Katie running by our cars, going aliens. <laughs> <laughs> so whether you believe the Eisenhower Agreement occurred or not, which it's fine. 
it's okay to be wrong despite of the overwhelming amount of evidence. <laughs> there are multiple witness encounters and multiple people who were involved with it who wrote about what they saw and heard and how they their what their whole experience is like. And I believe Liz is going to tell us about one of them. I sure am. So what is now being known and written about as like the most overwhelming um proof from this whole Eisenhower Air Force Zorp extravaganza. <laughs> um <clears throat> he is uh Gerald Light. Um he wrote a letter in April of nineteen fifty four claiming to have been an eyewitness to the Edwards Air Force Base meeting between Eisenhower and aliens. Light provided details such as watching Air Force officials studying five aircrafts with the permission of their alien owners standing by. While some questioned the credibility of his report, since he was known to have a love of the occult and claimed to be clairvoyant, um, others, like Meade Lane, the former director of the Borderland Sciences Research Foundation, confirms and believes that he was there just as he was, and he did know firsthand what occurred. That's so frustrating to me that nowadays it's like, oh, no, you can't trust this person with amazing science credentials because they also believe in the occult. When, like, fucking Isaac Newton was also an alchemist. Right. Like, <laughs> also, like, the Queen of England sucks blood of children. Oh, here we but go. Here <laughs> we are. <laughs> I'm just saying, That's people. That's why Meghan Markle is leaving. Meg's it. Good, good for her. Good for her. That's what I say. Anywho, yeah, it just stinks because I really feel like Gerald was onto something here. This he letter. was number he seems one like a good because guy. he was there. He was there. <laughs> number two, he's an excellent writer. Um, yes, and I will prove that because I am about to read y'all this letter. Read it. So buckle up, kids, because proof is coming your way. The Zorps are out to play. That rhymed. Here we go. Yes. Those are her boobs. Zorps. <laughs> Zorp one and Zorp two. <laughs> Anywho. <clears throat> So this is his letter. I'm just going to read it straight as it goes. So this is not my own words. I got this from uh, Wikipedia. Thank you so much. Okay. (laughs) My dear friend, I have just returned from Morocco, which was later renamed the Edwards Air Force Base, just so you know. I made the journey in company with Franklin Allen of the Hearst Papers and Edwin Norse of Brookings Institute, which was Truman's um, financial and labor advisor, by the way. Okay. Just going to throw in my little bits of proof as we go. (laughs) All right. Proof, 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 proof. (laughs) When we were all allowed to enter the restricted section after about six hours in which we were checked on every possible item, event, incident, and aspect of our personal and public lives, I had the distinct feeling that the world had come to an end with fantastic realism. For I have never seen so many human beings in a state of complete collapse and confusion as they realized that their own world had indeed ended with such finality as to beggar description. The reality of the other plane, in quotes, aeroform is now and forever removed from the realms of speculation and made a rather painful part of the consciousness of every responsible scientific and political group. During my two days visit, I saw five separate and distinct types of aircrafts being studied and handled by our Air Force officials, with the assistance and permission of the Ethereans. I have no words to express my reaction. It has finally happened. It is now a matter of history. 
President Eisenhower, as you may already know, was spirited over to the base one night during his visit to Palm Springs, and it is my conviction that he will ignore the terrific conflict between the various authorities and go mm-hmm. directly to the people via radio and television if the impasse continues much longer. <laughs> From what I could gather, an official statement to the country is being prepared for delivery about the middle of May. Hell no. And somehow got lost. Mm-hmm. Orson Welles beat the to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will leave it to your own excellent powers of deduction to construct a fitting picture of the mental and emotional pandemonium that is now shattering the consciousness of hundreds of our scientific authorities and all the various specialized knowledges that make up our current physics. In some instance, I could not stifle a wave of pity that arose in my own being as I watched the pathetic bewilderment of rather brilliant brains struggling to make some sort of rational explanation which would enable them to retain their familiar theories and concepts. I shall never forget those 48 hours at Muroc. That's insane. It was written so beautifully. And to me, it's like he's naming names that were there that we know were there. And how is he supposed to know they were there? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like, there's no way he would know. Uh, Just so, like, the whole process of going in and how long Eisenhower was there. Down to the hours of how long they were checked. Yes. That's crazy. It's very interesting. So I think we can all agree that if Eisenhower would have come to some kind of an agreement with these aliens that were a little more suitable for both of us. Oh, the first ones? Yeah. Absolutely. Then maybe we wouldn't have been abducted so roughly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And here to talk about that is Katie. So, yes. I'm going to be telling you three alien abduction stories. These alien abduction stories... um, occurred more in the 50s um yeah so there is a difference in the way that um alien abductions happened before the eisenhower agreement in 55 (laughs) um so i'm just going to tell you a few and tell you a little bit about uh kind of where this alien craze happened to in like the 40s and whatnot which is interesting one thing everybody who is abducted seems to have in common is they um, all say they were taken away. They were taken to a space craft. <laughs> I'm sorry. <sighs> I'm just sorry, but that's what abducted means. I'm sorry. Oh, God. They've said they were taken to a spacecraft, tested on by the extraterrestrials, and then they were returned back to their homes. Um, And a lot of these people have spoken to psychologists and doctors. Psychologists and doctors a lot of times assume that the people are either just hallucinating these abductions Mm -hmm. or they were um, lucid dreaming. Um, And especially when more people started to to talk about it and it became more public, um, they would say, well... It was just a lucid dream you probably had from hearing or reading this story from this person being abducted. So you you just dreamed it. Like, yeah, okay, sure. Sure. Mm. Why not? Yeah, sure. I dreamed all these details that I would these, not have known yeah, otherwise. insane details. Um, so the 40s and 50s were known um, 
thanks to a lot of comic um, strips and everything and comic books that came out as a space age. Um, there were a lot of aliens and alien abduction stories in comic books that were circulating around. And um, then after, you know, you could say it's a coincidence or whatnot, but in the late 40s, people began report reporting uh, that they saw flying saucers in the sky. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't long after the Space Age comic books and the flying saucers in the sky that the stories of being abducted by otherworldly creatures began coming out to the public. Wow. My first story uh, happened in 1951, in July of 1951, and it actually happened right here in our home state of Georgia. Georgia? Yes. Um, I'm going to be telling a little a little brief story about a man named Fred Reagan. Um, Fred Reagan was a pilot. He was flying um, somewhere over Georgia. I don't know where. Mm. Sorry. He, while he was flying um, his aircraft thing. <laughs> Airplane? There was a name for it, and I forgot. I didn't Biplane? write it down. No, it was something else. It was like a club. While he was flying on his subway. <sighs> Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. While Fred Reagan was flying somewhere over Georgia, he uh, claimed that an object collided with his plane, and it sent him spiraling toward the ground until a force pulled up his plane and into the unidentified flying object. He claims that once he was inside the UFO, beings in the shape of asparagus, about three (gasps) feet tall, began communicating with him. Oh, my God, just like the ones from Scooby-Doo and the Alien Invasion. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually that episode of Scooby-Doo that I am talking about. No, it's a movie. These beings informed him that they had performed some medical medical procedures on him and even cured him of cancer, which he had no idea he had cancer at the time. They released Reagan back onto Earth where he was found unconscious in a field. Um, but less than a year after the encounter, he died from brain deterioration from radiation oh. not found on Earth. What happened oh to his plane? Oh, my God. Did they ever find it? That part was never... I couldn't find huh. that part. Is that public knowledge? No, he was found, he was found next to his plane. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Is it public knowledge that um, the radiation poisoning was not found on Earth? And um, I read multiple articles. Multiple People articles. People are so dumb. Okay. <laughs> like, how do you not believe in this shit? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um, now I'm going to tell you all about Carl Hunrath and Wilbur Wilkinson. Cute. Um, on November 11th, 1953, two friends, Carl Hunrath, who was an amateur pilot, and Wilbur Wilkinson rented an airplane from an airport in Los Angeles, took off, and were never rented heard from. Rented an airplane? Yeah. Like, they didn't own the airplane, so they, like. This is the early day of, like, buy plane, passenger plane. Why does I feel this like you sound can still foreign d- to me? I feel like you can still do that. You, you can know, still not, rent airplanes. you have a pilot license. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he the, was I mean, an amateur was, pilot. Yeah. Amateur just sounds like he doesn't have well, a license. Well, this is also in 1953. That's true. Yeah. He didn't have seatbelts and he could smoke inside the cracker barrel. You could smoke <laughs> on the airplane. Yeah. They took off and were never heard from or seen again. Ooh. Um, A day before they took the trip, Hunrath spoke to some people about a UFO that landed nearby and him and Wilkinson were going to go and check it out. The two believed the UFO would take them away from Earth, possibly to Venus. I think I think they had a relationship together. I was going to say, they, they sound like, like lifelong friends, wink, wink. Well, I was actually going to make a joke and be like, oh, are they married? But then, No, uh, they're both married to women. 
Um, no, no, no. I, I know. But what I'm saying is like, I can't remember which one. I don't think I have it. Yes, I do. Okay. So Venus was reportedly the home of the Mazarines, an extraterrestrial mm-hmm. race that Hunrath had communicated with by radio. Um, the strange part about this trip and the accident is that their bodies nor the plane have never been found. Oh my! So no, wait. Where did they leave from again? Los Angeles. Okay, and when's the? And they only had three hours worth of gas. And there are reports that they just escaped and went to Mexico. But people are like, from Los Angeles to Mexico, like the part, like they're like, there's just no way. So unless they literally just in the ocean somewhere and no one could find them. Yeah. Yeah, but to UFO enthusiasts, they truly believe that Hunrath and Wilkinson made it off of Earth with some extraterrestrials. I believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, Wilkinson was so obsessed with UFOs and aliens that he he actually, him and his wife moved from, I can't remember, Ohio, maybe? Okay. To, Los, mean, to, to California. Why wouldn't you? To be closer Anything's to Hunrath and Ohio. to also because oh. they were both UFO enthusiasts, but yes. Yes. Anything is better than Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, he had told sorry, his Ohio. wife. I'm sorry. <laughs> he had told his wife before the trip that he felt the end of times was coming, more so that the Mazarines were coming to invade the Earth. People always think the world's ending, right? Um, and <clears throat> I just wanted to clarify. I found that on two men who went missing looking for a UFO article. <laughs> nice. dot com. No. Oh. <laughs> just in case you want to credit it. There you go. It's fine. Um, and this next story that I'm going to tell you is the most interesting one. Oh, that one was so interesting to me. I can't imagine it gets any This better. next story is actually titled, the the abduction itself is titled, The Seduction of Antonio Vilas Boas. <gasps> I know about this one. Yes. I oh, heard it on last podcast on the left. Yeah. Yes. The sexual liaisons with aliens episode. Yes. yes. Oh, yes. You heard it too? Huh? No, this oh. is the first time I. Ooh, okay. Yep. Oh, I'm ready. Hold on, <laughs> so, let me take my pants off. On October fifteenth, nineteen fifty-seven, Antonio Vilas Boas. Is that how you say his name? Sure. You can um, do whatever you want, girl. He was a twenty-three-year-old Brazilian who had one of the strangest abductions known, which happened on October fifteenth. Just wanted to clarify that. His case was even <laughs> well documented. <laughs> his case. He's like, that's about my birthday, in case you were wondering. In case you were wondering. No. His case was even well documented by doctors after the encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> he was suffering from radiation poisoning when a professor for medicine at the National School of Medicine of Brazil asked Boaz to talk about what had ha- what happened and how exactly he could have came to be suffering from radiation poisoning. Um, Boaz's symptoms were pains throughout the body, nausea, headaches, loss of appetite, Ceaselessly burning sensations in the eyes, cutaneous lesions at the si- slightest of light bruising. Um, oh, no. UFOologists determined that his abduction was, in fact, a real occurrence. His adu- abduction happened on the 15th of October, but strange encounters began happening 10 days earlier. On the night of the 5th, Boaz saw a bright white light in the sky after opening his window at his house. Later that same night, while sleeping, he saw the same light, except this time it was coming closer. Um... And then on the night of the 14th, Boaz and his brother were in the field of his family's farm tilling the soil when they once again saw a bright light hovering about 300 feet above their heads. I say once again because that night that he saw it through his window, his brother, like, he was so upset and terrified that he, mm-hmm. like, yelled and, like, screamed, I guess, and his brother came running and saw the light as well. Oh, okay. So, this time, though, they both saw it outside. Um, Boaz decided to go closer to the bright light, trying mm-hmm. to investigate, um, and as he got closer... 
it sped off in the opposite direction at a very high speed. Oh. Then on the next night, which would bring us to October 15th, Boaz was in the field by himself when he once again saw the same bright light shining above him. This time, the light was about 160 feet above him. He said it looked like a large elongated egg. Which I keep hearing, and that's what they said look like. Like a tic-tac. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, The craft settled itself on land by extending three large legs beneath it. Boas ran to his tractor in fear, um, (laughs) but a small figure reached out and grabbed his shoulder. He tried to get away, but by that point, three more small figures surrounded him, and he was lifted off of the ground. Um, This next part I'm going to read from the article of their description of these creatures. Um, Boas described these creatures in great detail, which this is... Antonio Vilas's Boaz, Antonio Vilas Boaz's abduction episode Ground Zero by Terry Melanson. This was written in two thousand and one. Just wanted to give that, give that. Anyways, um, so Boaz described these creatures in great detail. All of them wore a very tight-fitting siren suit made of soft, thick, unevenly striped gray material. This garment reached right up to their necks, where it was joined to a kind of helmet made of gray material that looked stiffer and was strengthened back at nose level. Their helmets hid everything except their eyes, which were protected by two round glasses like the lenses in ordinary glasses. Through them, the men looked at me, and their eyes seemed to be much smaller than ours, though I believe that may have been the effect of the lenses. All of them had light-colored eyes that looked blue to me, but this I cannot vouch for. Above their eyes, those helmets looked so tall that they corresponded to what the double of the size of a normal head should be. Probably there was something else hidden under those helmets placed on top of their heads, but nothing could be seen from the outside. Right on top from the middle of their heads, there sprouted three round silvery metal tubes, which were a little narrower than a common garden hose. The tubes which were placed one in the middle and one on each side of their heads were smooth and bent backward and downward toward the back. There they fitted into their clothes. How I cannot say, but one went down the center where the backbone is, and the other two, one on each side, fitted under the shoulders at about four inches from the armpits, nearly at the sides where the back begins. I didn't notice anything at all. No hump or lump to show where the tubes were attached, nor any box or contrivance hidden under their clothes. Oh. So they were in some insane-ass suit. Um, he, hold on. He was taken into a room with his abductors, and they began talking to one another in a language unlike anything he had ever heard. Uh, the chattering the chattering amongst themselves in a way Boaz described as animal grunts. He said basically like they would make these noises, and then another one would respond in like another like very deep like grunt and a different hmm. like animal sound, and it was like <laughs> weird. Whatever. S- sounds like white men, but okay. <laughs> and then at this point, they began to undress him. Um, while he opposed this, but he assumes they cannot understand what he was saying while he was like, basically, I guess like back off. Don't touch me. Don't undress me. Yeah. But they like, like made like eye contact with him almost. And like almost wanted him to like take notice that we're not going to harm you. We're not going to hurt you. Just let us do this. And they took his clothes off so gracefully and like didn't rip anything except for his shirt. Don't know why they had it. I guess they just for the dramatic effect. (laughs) They were like, ah, why are you wearing so many clothes? Um, And once Boaz was undressed, they rubbed a clear liquid all over his body and ushered him into another room where he was met by another alien who took blood from his chin. Aye, aye, aye. That's such a weird spot. You don't... don't, Yeah. 
like like why yeah like i don't feel like you're, it's gonna be hard to get blood there you know that sounds really painful i know um I like it it was at this point that things get weird Oh, yeah. Boaz waited in this other room on a sofa until he noticed gray smoke coming out from the wall that he was in front of, like, behind him in his ear. Like, coming out from where his ears were, essentially. And let's just remember that he is in a strange place, completely nude, covered in, like, a weird lubricant. Right. He, uh... Just chilling on a couch. Sounds like Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) He, um... He got nauseous from the smoke, and he ended up vomiting... And when he looked up from vomiting, a female was entering the room. Um, And it's assumed that the clear liquid that was put on his body was an aphrodisiac and, like, some type of spermicidal type thing that would, like, attract her. The smoke that was put into the room um, was what they're assuming is, like, something that allowed the the female to go in there without her helmet on so she could breathe. Oh, okay. And they also think that the blood that was taken from his chin was uh, uh, also had something to do with the interbreeding that they were planning Ooh. on doing with him. Oh. Um, and so <clears throat> now I'm going to read you Oh, God, buckle up for nice this one. alien erotica. <laughs> Because it, it gets real weird real quick. I feel like in the background the whole time when you're reading this, I should just be like, bam, 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 bam. She came in slowly, unhurriedly, perhaps a little amused at the amazement she saw written on my face. I stared open-mouthed. She was beautiful, though of a different type of beauty compared with that of the women I have known. Her hair was blonde. Nearly white, like hair dyed in peroxide. Ow. Yeah. (laughs) Like they just soaked bleach on her head. Oh, God. It was smooth, not very thick, with a part in the center, and she had big blue eyes, rather longer than round, for they slanted outward, like those pencil-drawn girls made to look like Arabian princesses. Very specific. Also, that's that, how you know a guy wrote this because right. any woman knows that you don't get your hair near white with like peroxide. Right. It goes orange, then you gotta tone it. And you gotta tone it. Exactly. God. <clears throat> Have you ever even heard of Olaplex? Seriously. Um, there was no makeup. Her nose was straight, not pointed, not turned up nor big. The contour of her face was different, though, because she had very high prominent cheekbones that made her face narrow to a peak. So that all of a sudden it entered in a pointed chin. That's weird. Yeah. Which gave the lower part of her face a very pointed look. So she was a pointy lady. Like, can you just, like, a very, she's just pointy. Like Yzma from the Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. Yeah. She's just pointy. Maybe this is Yzma um, from Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> her lips were very thin, nearly invisible, in fact. So she did not have DSL. Damn. <laughs> she had WLL. Sorry. Um, just kidding. Sorry. Her ears, which I only saw later, were small and did not seem different from ordinary ears. Her high cheekbones gave one a, one the impression that there was a broken bone somewhere underneath. But as I discovered later, they were soft and fleshy to the touch. So they did not seem to be made of bone. Her body was much more beautiful than any I had ever seen before. It was slim, and her breasts stood up high and well separated. Her waistline was thin, her belly flat, her hips well developed, and her thighs were large. Her feet were small, her hands long and narrow. Her fingers and nails were normal. She dumped it. <laughs> <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> 
Lord. <laughs> she was much shorter than I am. The OG Insta thought. Just thoughtin' and boppin'. <laughs> her head <clears throat> only reached my shoulder. Her skin was white, as that of our fair woman here, and she was full of freckles on her arms. I didn't notice any perfume except for a natural female odor. Her vagina? And another thing I noticed was the hair in her armpits was bright red, nearly the color of blood. Her pubic hair was also bright red. Interesting. It's almost so like... she's like Cheryl from Riverdale and Yzma from Ember's <gasps> New Groove had a baby. I'm going to show you all this picture of this alien in a minute. This Wait, woman. there's a photo? There's, a picture. A there's like a drawn picture. God, oh, I was like, what? No. Yeah. And I'm going to show you in a second. Um, so Boaz recounts that the woman came toward him in silence, um, looking at him all the while as if she wanted something from him. She Got pressed you? her. She pressed herself to him, and he understood what her purpose was. Boaz says, I began to get excited. I ended up forgetting everything and held the woman close to me, corresponding to her favors with greater ones of my oh, own. My. Um, and apparently they had two sexual encounters and oh, performed my. a variety of acts together for about an hour, <gasps> after which the woman pulled away to leave. <gasps> um, and Boaz goes on to say, all they wanted was a good stallion to improve their stock. Very, very, like... No. <laughs> is this the story where, like, when she leaves, she kind of turns around and, like, rubs yes. her belly yes. at him? Like, yes. ooh, I got Trapped it. you, bitch. Yeah. Boaz <laughs> seemed to have enjoyed the whole interaction. And uh, when the woman pulled away, she was called out by another alien who entered the room. But before she left, she mm. did. She turned around, pointed to her belly, rubbed her belly. And she also pointed, like, down toward the sky, but, like, in the direction that Boaz lived. Oh. And Boaz took that as she would come get him. Wherever he was to oh. be with, like, so that she, he was with her. That's creepy. Um, and at Don't that like point, it. he kind of felt, like, scared. I mean, yeah. And slightly yeah. worried. Because um, <laughs> you just you just locked me up. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think this is the only thing Alex Jones can read to come to uh, climax? Oh, Probably. <laughs> He's like, no, honey, it's not doing it for me. Read me the Boaz story. Read me the Boaz story. Um. So after the woman left, Boaz was given his clothes back and taken back into the room with the smooth metal walls. And the funny thing about this, like this article that I read there, like it's almost like this, like he's getting a tour from a from an alien. And then like also when they stuck him in this room, they put him like <clears throat> they put him in this room with no windows. There was no clock. They had, uh, it was just smooth metal walls, and he was basically chilling, and there was some aliens. Like, they were almost having a conversation, is what, like, it <laughs> seems like to me. They were, like, hanging out and chilling, and, like, yeah. He's still covered he in lubricant. He was shown around the spacecraft before being deposited back onto the field next to his tractor. Um, and he realized that he, this whole encounter happened at 1.30 a.m., and he was brought back to his tractor at about 5.30 a.m., and, of course, those four and a half hours, like, it's, like, totally gone. Like, mm -hmm. he can't remember anything. Um, he suffered from sleeplessness, which is a common, uh, like, a common ailment that, not ailment, but it's common in people who have been abducted. They, they suffer from, like, insomnia, and mm -hmm. they can't sleep, and among other things. Um, and he ended up, I think it was unrelated. He passed away in 1992. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he did live. Or did they come back years. to get him? Who knows? Um, yeah, I read that story and I was like, "That's fucking crazy." But here, here's the woman. You ready? Yes, yes. Oh, okay. That's not bad. 
She does look terrifying, though. She does straight up look like the um, the fembot from Mars Attacks. She does. She does. I don't. I don't love it. No. It's the hair. I wanted to be into her, but she looks more like a soccer mom. But like that, like a Karen. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not Karen. Maybe like Donna. No, no. Maybe like Barbara. Like okay, so let's so. The treaty happened in 55. The first yeah. two stories were in 51 and 53. And, like, the second one, granted, we have no fucking clue what happened to Carl and Wilbur other than they escaped to Italy and are living a, the rest of their years out sure. together. Well, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> or Canada. Or Canada. Whichever. Um, and then you got Fred Reagan, who was just, you know, they just worked on him here and there. And they were like, here, we cured you of some cancer. And then you <laughs> get down to poor Antonio and... He's raped by a woman in a spacecraft, basically. Yeah. His seed is implanted into her. Like, there's mm-hmm. an Antonio uh, Boaz seed roaming around Earth right mm-hmm. now, probably. Well, it's probably frozen on their planet. Yeah. I like to think that there's a baby alien roaming around Earth with us. Just well, like, there is one. Yeah, yeah. yeah there is one. Would still be a baby if it was in the 50s? No, but I'm saying, like, you know. There is one. He lives in your house. Yeah, true. This is true. <laughs> little, I'm just going to start calling him Little Baby Boaz. That's, damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, so those aliens had a mission in 1957. Yeah. Um, and then before it was just like communicating. Right. It was just people. like, I'm going to cure you of this. I'm yeah. going to do this. Hey, come see us so we don't invade Earth. Hey, hey. And then they were like, Rah. Like, oh, we just really want some info, some science, some research. Mm-hmm. Give, give me your little, sperm. Give me a little blood. We'll just cure your entire planet of cancer. No mm-hmm. big deal. As Katie said, they do tend to get they tend to get a little more violent. Man, what the hell happened? So, Liz, you want to tell us more about that? I would love to tell you about probably my favorite alien abduction story. It's one of my favorites, too. So they are Betty and Barney Hill, and they were an American couple who claimed that they were abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of New Hampshire from September 19th to September 20th, 1961. It was the first widely publicized report of an alien abduction in the United States. The incident became known as the Hill Abduction, and the Zeta Reticuli incident, because mm. the couple stated that they had been kidnapped by aliens who claimed to be from the Zeta Reticuli system. Their story was adapted into the best-selling 1966 book, The Interrupted Journey, and the 1975 TV movie, The UFO Incident. I need to watch that. I know. Anybody I, knows I where was to find that. The same thing. So a little background. Uh, Barney was a postman, while Betty was a social worker. Um, They were active in their local Unitarian congregation. The Hills were also members of the NAACP and community leaders, and Barney sat on a local board of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. They were an interracial couple at a time when it was wildly unpopular Mm -hmm. and uncommon. Yes. So, props. Love you guys. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Love them. According to a variety of reports given by the Hills, the alleged UFO sighting happened on September 19, 1961, around 10.30 p.m. They were driving back to Portsmouth from a vacation in Niagara Falls in Montreal. So just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, 
Betty claimed to have observed a bright point of light in the sky that moved from below the moon and the planet Jupiter upward to the west of the moon. Very specific. Yeah, how does she but know I mean, where Jupiter is? But hey, man. Some people know about that some kind of Some people do. I wish I did. I used to. I know. Same. I really would like to. 2020 goals. <laughs> okay. Um, so while Barney navigated U.S. Route 3, Betty reasoned that she was just observing a falling star or she was seeing things. Since it moved erratically and grew bigger and brighter, Betty urged Barney to stop the car for a closer look as well as to walk their dog. Uh, with a pair of binoculars, Betty observed an odd-shaped craft flashing multicolored lights um, as it traveled across the face of the moon. Because her sister had several years earlier said she had seen a flying saucer, Betty thought that it might be the same one that she was observing. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah. That's creepy. I know. Like they're following the family. Yes. Yeah. Weird. Um, she gave the binoculars to Barney. And he observed what he reasoned was a commercial airliner traveling toward Vermont on its way to Montreal. That is very specific. I know. What? Okay. This observation caused Barney to realize that this object that was a plane was not a plane. <laughs> very <laughs> good. Moment. Very good, friend. They quickly returned to the car and drove onward. The hills claimed that they continued driving on this isolated road, moving very slowly in order to observe the object as it came even closer. So really, they're like playing chicken with this UFO. I would have been hauling ass yeah. in any other direction. Yeah. Not that they couldn't catch you, but like I would try. You know? So at one point, the object passed above a restaurant and a signal tower on top of Cannon Mountain and then came out on the other side. Oh, shit. Betty testified that it was at least one and a half times the length of the mountain, which was 40 feet long, and that it seemed to be rotating. What? That's what? fucking huge. I know. And rotating, too. The couple watched as the silent, illuminated craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. Um, once the object rapidly descended towards their vehicle, uh, this caused Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. The huge silent craft hovered approximately 80 to 100 feet above their car and filled the entire field of view in the windshield. Barney said it reminded him of a huge pancake. Carrying his pistol in his pocket, Barney stepped away from the vehicle and moved closer to the object. Yeah, like your handgun is going to really be a great match. Yeah. For a UFO, but okay. For a giant pancake. <laughs> he claimed to have seen about 8 to 11 humanoid figures who were peering out of the craft's windows, seeming to look at him. All but one figure moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. I can just imagine the, the aliens, like, all like... <laughs> hello. 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 No one's hello. ever followed us before. He's not the one. What's and then they me? just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> the one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. Barney had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps. Red lights on what appeared to be batwing fins began to telescope out of the sides of the craft, and a long structure descended from the bottom of the craft. Okay. It approached to what Barney estimated was about 50 feet overhead and 300 feet away from him. On October 21, 1961, 
Barney reported to the National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena, (laughs) NICAP, investigator Mm. Walter Webb, that the beings were somehow not human. Also, if we have a National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, there are fucking aliens. (laughs) Yes. Like, people are so dumb. Yeah. All right, I can't do it anymore. (laughs) <laughs> humans if you don't if you're listening to this right now and you don't believe in aliens you're wrong yeah you're you're just wrong please stop There's, listening yeah he tore the binoculars away from his eyes and ran back to his car in a near hysterical state he told betty they're going to capture us he saw the object again shift in location to directly above the vehicle Ooh. he drove away at a high speed telling her to look for the object she rolled down the window and looked up Immediately, the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing sounds, which they said seemed to bounce off the truck of their vehicle. The car vibrated, and a tingling sensation passed through both of their bodies. They both said separately that then they experienced the onset feeling of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dull. A second series of beeping or buzzing sounds returned, and the couple felt that they were back in full consciousness. They found that they had traveled 35 miles, but only had vague, spotty memories of this section of road. Hmm. They then recalled making a sudden, unplanned U-turn, encountering a roadblock, and observing a fiery orb in the road. Oh, shit. Right. So now it's about dawn, and they assert that they could have... um, been feeling some odd sensations and impulses that they could not really explain. So this is hours later. Yeah. Betty insisted that their luggage be kept near the back door rather than in the main part of the house. Their watches never worked again. Um, Barney said that the leather strap for the binoculars was torn, one of the lenses was broken, and though he could not recall either of those things happening. The Hmm. toes of his best dress shoes were scraped almost to nothing. Holy shit. And he was... He says that he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, though he found nothing unusual but a tingling sensation. They took long showers to remove possible contamination, and they each drew a picture of what they observed. Perplexed, the Hills say that they tried to reconstruct the chronology of events as they witnessed the UFO and drove home. Hmm. But immediately after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became incomplete and fragmented. After sleeping for a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothing she had worn during the drive into her closet, observing that the dress was torn at the hem, the zipper, and the lining. Ooh, that's creepy. Later, when she returned to retrieve the items from her closet, she noticed a pink powder on her dress. She hung the dress on her clothesline, and the pink powder never blew away. The dress was irreparably damaged. She threw it away, but then changed her mind, (laughs) retrieving the dress and hanging it back in the closet. Over the years, five laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analyses on the dress. And what what have their conclusions been? I don't know. But, I mean, just Nothing the fact good. that they were examined five times, yeah. and then they won't tell us what meat they found, tells me oh, everything I need to know. Yeah. So, ten days after the alleged UFO encounter, Betty began having a series of vivid dreams. They continued for five successive nights. Never in her memory had she ever recalled dreams in such detail and intensity, but they stopped abruptly after five nights and never returned. 
They occupied her thoughts during the day, almost to the point where she thought that she was asleep and dreaming at work. When she finally did mention them to Barney, he was sympathetic but not too concerned, and the matter was dropped. Rude. (laughs) In November 1961, she began writing down the details of her dreams. In one dream, she and Barney encountered a roadblock and men who surrounded their car. She lost consciousness but struggled to regain it. She then realized that she was being forced by two small men to walk in a forest in the nighttime and of seeing Barney walking behind her. Though when she called to him, he seemed to be in a trance. The men stood about five feet to five feet four inches tall, wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to those worn by the military. They appeared nearly human, with black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and blue lips. Their skin was a grayish color. In the dreams, Betty, Barney, and the men walked up a ramp into the disc-shaped craft of metallic appearance. Once they were inside, they were immediately separated. She protested, but was told immediately by a man she called the leader that if she and Barney were examined together, it would take much longer. Well, that doesn't make sense. I know. She then dreamt that a new man, similar to the others, entered to conduct her exam with the leader. Though the leader and the examiner spoke to her in English... The examiner's command of the language seemed imperfect, and she had much difficulty understanding him. Hmm. Which seems to be, like, the going trend with, like... Yeah, they try... Tom DeLonge's experience in Area 51? I'm I'm not just... I'm not trying to, like, bring him up, like, in that way. I'm just (laughs) Uh saying, like, Mm -hmm. he was... He said that he heard, like, it sounded like it could be, you know, English, but he didn't understand anything they were saying. Mm -hmm. And the same with uh, the... Fred Reagan and Boaz mm-hmm. story. Like, mm-hmm. it's like in- English adjacent. Yeah. It's like you can just tell that they've been studying us and they're smarter than us and they're mm-hmm. trying to be as human presenting as possible. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about her exam. Oh, God. Okay. It's rough. He seated her on a chair and a bright light was shown on her. Okay, doctor, check. The <laughs> man cut off a lock of Betty's hair. Whoa, there. Aww. He examined her eyes. Ears, mouth, teeth, throat, and hands. He saved trimmings from her fingernails. After examining her legs and feet, the man used a dull knife, similar to a letter opener, to scrape some of her skin onto what resembled cellophane. Hmm. He then tested her nervous system and he thrust the needle into her navel, which caused Betty agonizing pain, whereupon the leader waved his hand in front of her eyes and the pain vanished. The examiner left the room and Betty engaged in conversation with the leader. She picked up a book with rows of strange symbols that the leader said she could take home with her. She also asked from where he came and he pulled down an instructional map dotted with stars. Just tell her. But this is all dream, so Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So don't don't Is it a dream? Or is it? I know. A, or I'm gonna memory. I'm gonna yeah. They're they're like jogging her memory a little bit, and then they take it away. Maybe big maybe. In her dream, the men began escorting the hills from the ship when a disagreement broke out. The leader informed Betty that she could not keep the book, saying that they had decided that the other men did not want her to even remember anything. She insisted that no matter what they did to her, she would one day recall the events. She and Barney were then taken to their car where the leader suggested that they wait to watch the craft's departure. 
They did so and then resumed their drive. That's so how do you creepy. come back from that? What a weird I have dream. No fucking idea. Yeah, how do you become a functioning member of society again? And she right? was a social worker, so it's like, right? what do you do? She's like, hey, I'm really sorry about your pet dying, but I was abducted by aliens. <laughs> yeah. Oh, ew. your mom moved out. Oh, I got probed by an alien in my belly button. <laughs> <laughs> so the last portion of their abduction, where everyone seems to like kind of corroborate the story and like i think this is where most people believe them yeah is about their missing time on november 25th 1961 the hills were again interviewed at length by nicap members which if you don't remember was the national something about aircraft phenomena yeah um so this time by a cd jackson and a robert e hoffman not hoffman but h-o-h man hoffman Although the Hills had noted that they had arrived home later than anticipated, the drive should have taken about four hours. They claimed not to have realized that they arrived home seven hours after their departure. Holy shit. When Huffman and Jackson <laughs> noted this discrepancy to the Hills, the couple had no explanation, a phenomenon that ufologists call missing time. The Hills claimed to recall almost nothing of the 35 miles of Route 3 between Lincoln and Ashland. Both claimed to recall an image of a fiery orb sitting on the ground. Betty and Barney reasoned that it must have been the moon. Um, what? But, what? but men and Jackson informed them <laughs> that the moon had set earlier in the evening, well before this happened. The subject of hypnosis came up, and it was decided that it should be carried out in order to elicit previously irretrievable memories. Barney was apprehensive about hypnosis, but thought that it might help Betty put to rest what Barney described as the nonsense about her dreams. So, in February 1962, the Hills were making frequent weekend drives to the White Mountains, hoping that revisiting the site might spark more memories. Okay, that makes sense. They were unsuccessful in trying to locate the site where they observed the orb sitting in the road. However... not go back. I know, never. Like, what? what? However, they were able to eliminate several possible routes. They found what they claimed was the capture site on Labor Day weekend, 1965, and never gave another interview again. Holy shit. Well, I mean. And where, where, where did they go after that? Like. After what? They just, did they, didn't they go into hiding? Did they? Well, like, the, the problem with trying to go public with, like, a, a UFO story is people just automatically assume that you're crazy, and it can literally ruin your life. So I'm sure I'm sure they got like a small taste of it and then they were like, Okay, we're just never gonna talk about this ever again because our lives are more important. Mm -hmm. And also it was nineteen sixty two, so I mean stay staying alive was probably a big deal for them. All right, so obviously aliens exist. I mean, yes. Duh. Um <laughs> Um, I think the Eisenhower Agreement is a really great place to, if you haven't really ever really been into alien or alien abductions, learning about the Eisenhower Agreement is a great place to start because that is sort of the way America began its relationship with aliens and alien abductions. So that's true. I would say start with the Eisenhower Agreement, move on to Roswell, go on from there. There's a ton of information out there. What we've talked about today is, I mean, I think we're... Not not scraping the surface. I feel like we covered a lot, but there's so much more out there. So please do your own research because 
you will find yourself wrapped in a blanket at 2 o'clock in the morning with 72 tabs open. Yep. Am I speaking from personal experience? Probably yes. <laughs> but there's a lot out there, and it is so interesting to research, so I highly, highly recommend it. If you would like to give us a five-star rating, which you absolutely should, you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash conspiracy, and it will show you which websites you can rate us on, and it'll give you instructions on how to do it. Um, you can also connect with us on Instagram at conspiracypodcastatl, and you can follow us on Twitter at theconspiracy. And if you have any episode ideas or you just think we're neat and you want to talk to us, you can shoot us an email at conspiracypod at gmail.com. But we'll see you next time, guys. Sleep tight. Oh, my God. What does that have to do with aliens? You're, getting, aliens. you're getting probed up Shouldn't right now. we have been like, sleep tight. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Liz is an alien, and that's do, why she's so scared. Can we scared. do sleep tight and buy with that? Yeah, sure. All right. We'll see you next time, guys. Sleep tight. Bye. 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 <laughs> that was bad. I just want to do God's will. That's the best. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people...